what would you say if God comes to you and begins to talk to you? How do you respond to him? That's a good question. We're going to talk about that today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. The program is called Bible Discovery. And as we discover the Word of God or the Bible, we're going to learn much about the end chapter of Job, chapter 42. It's going to be very interesting. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at the role of dogs in ancient Israel. Ryan? Well, yesterday we explored some ideas regarding the identity of behemoth in Job 40. And so today we're going to try and do the same thing with another mammoth monster known as Leviathan in Job 41. Oh my goodness, Leviathan. That is a great one. Uh, mentioned five times in the Bible. Janice? Today, what a mighty God we serve. All right. So get your Bible guide out and let's focus on what God is telling us because he's speaking right now. And let's listen to what God has told us. Job 42, verses 1 through 10. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly." because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite went and did as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 10. This is amazing. Job chapter 40, 41, and 42. Now, the restoration, believe it or not, of Job is not just the restoration, but it's a maturity of his understanding. Now, remember, since Job felt that he did nothing wrong, he questioned God about the suffering he was enduring and what God was doing about it. But let's remember, mankind is altogether sinful and is sinful to the Lord. At the beginning of time, first man and woman chose against what God had told them, creating a sinful heart. At the base of it, Job by nature was sinful, just like the rest of us. 
It would only be Jesus Christ who would do anything about this original error or sin of mankind. Now, sin is still a problem today. And the only way we can really deal with it is to confess those failures and sin to Jesus Christ and ask him to come into our hearts and take over. The restoration of Job at the end of his story is because God chooses to restore him after this brutal time of testing. This reflected in the last chapter of the book as we begin to study God's word. Now, listen carefully because this is important. We are going to look at the word of God. And literally, this is God quoting himself from the Bible. And this is the oldest story ever. And we can see this. And this is absolutely fascinating. So take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. And if you don't have a Bible guide, we will be happy to send you one. If you write to us or call us or simply go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. At BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the page and it'll take you to a donate page. And let me say, thank you for your donations. They're very meaningful and they help us to continue. So thank you for that. And also remember this, that as we study Job's restoration, we're going to look at it and learn what's happening. Now, it's important for us to pray. Father, I pray today as we look at your scripture, as we open the Bible to read your words, that you would talk to us, that you would speak to us, that we can hear what you're saying. Thank you, Father. And in Jesus' wonderful name, help us to hear your word. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at this, let's look at the scripture in Job chapter 42, beginning with verses one to six. And this is Job talking to God. He's responding to the Lord. Job says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. That's very important to listen to that. No purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things that were too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak, you said. I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job's into a new place now. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes." fascinating. Job is realities. He's come to this new reality. He sees God. Job sees who he really is before God. And Job repents. He repents. Jesus Christ has chosen us and we must now choose him and his grace. Let me tell you something. It's true that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Of course he did. But it's also true that although he chose us, we have to choose him. This is important. And when we choose God, we recognize that we are sinners. And we need Jesus Christ to come into our life and change the way we are and change us. And so Jesus Christ, come into my life. I believe you died on the cross. We killed you and you rose again. That's what we need to pray. And I need you as Lord of my life. That's what Jesus Christ does to us when we admit 
that we indeed are sinners. Verse seven, and so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to uh, Eliphaz, the Timonite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job, my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them for the Lord had accepted Job. Now this is really important. Job is made right before his friends. Justice, he's made right before his friends. The three friends were forgiven by God when they obeyed God and they came to Job. Beloved, we need to obey the Lord. And what does the Lord say? The Lord says we have to deal with the sin in our lives. So we come to Jesus Christ and we say, Lord, we need you in our heart. We need you in our life. Be the Lord of my life. This is the essence of what we're talking about. This is the theme of the entire Bible. That's what it tells us to do. Old and New Testament. And beloved, may you hear what God says to us today. Very, very important. All right, let's go on to this last verse because I think you're going to find it fascinating. And as we read it, may God speak to our hearts. So the Lord restored Job's losses. Okay, now look at that. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Job prayed for his friends, did what the Lord said, and the Lord restored his losses. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, this is fascinating. God gave Job double what he had lost through Satan. We are nothing except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he did not give him double the children because Job had made sacrifices for the children. So they're in heaven. Job had made that clear. But he gives him back what he took from him because Job went through the test. And he passed the test at the end of the test in his state of being able to answer the Lord in the, uh, in, in the, the, the absolute destruction of his pace. Uh, he's there and he realizes that he is nothing compared to God. Beloved, that's what repentance means. Repentance means we come before the Lord and we recognize we are nothing. I am nothing but a sinner. I am nothing but a sinner. But Jesus Christ has made me a child of God. And I come to the Lord and I've accepted him. And I don't determine what I want to do. I determine what God wants to do. And I work my life to follow the Lord. Beloved, that is what we need to do as Christians. Father, help us today to hear what happened here. Job became aware of his smallness in your sight. Make us aware, Lord, of who we are, that we may follow you, that we may come to you and serve you, doing your things your way all of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now, 
You can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Today, you and I are going to be focusing in on the role of the canine, the dog, specifically in ancient Israel. And we're going to find out that it has mixed reviews. You know, there has been a mention of dogs in Job, specifically in Job chapter 30, and it was a positive. It's one of the rare positive mentions of dogs in the Bible where Job is talking about the, these, these dogs that help his shepherds. So they are working dogs, uh, but there's a lot more that the Bible has to weigh in on this topic. So let's take a look. In the ancient world, dogs were both a helpful commodity and a symbol of impurity and shame. Dogs are believed to be one of the very first domesticated animals, finding use in guarding, shepherding, and even warfare. While their value was indisputable, the literary and physical evidence shows they were seen as both positive and negative additions to society. In the Bible, there are numerous mentions of dogs, once in a helpful capacity, but most often as a negative symbol. In the time period of the kings, an effective insult was to call someone a dog, a dead dog, or a dog's head, and a shameful curse was to have your body eaten by dogs after death. Though dogs were helpful in certain aspects of society, they were allowed to roam free around cities and often kept the streets clear of garbage and other dead rodents or animals by eating their carcasses. It's these and other gross behaviors like ingesting their own vomit and fecal matter that go a long way in explaining man's willingness to keep dogs close while at the same time recognizing their dirty nature as animals. Dogs existed on the outskirts of society, almost human, connecting with humans, showing loyalty, doing jobs, but not giving up their animalistic ways that identified them as essentially inhuman. They were of society, but not a part of it. This also may explain why twice in the Bible, dogs are paired with prostitutes. Perhaps their lives were seen as similar. They played a role in society, but inevitably were cast to the edges of it, used, but not fully accepted, unclean and cursed. The prophets of the Bible also spoke about dogs. Isaiah compares Israel's watchmen and shepherds to their canine counterparts. Isaiah also refers to pagan practice of sacrificing dogs. Ancient Near Eastern dog sacrifices and cults incorporating dogs are now widely known. Thousands of dog burials have been found. Dogs were often associated with healing cults and were used as purification sacrifices and were worshipped alongside the gods of the underworld and healing. Naturally being associated with death and impurity, they became symbols of the underworld and bodies capable of transferring human impurity to. So there we go. Lots to be said about the the symbolism of animals and dogs and, and how that's used, uh, you know, in the Bible and how it was used in ancient Israelite society. It's also interesting to see that interaction between Israelite society and the contemporary cultures of the day and how that really um, influenced and affected the way that Israelites looked at the dog and, and you know, Examples of that being, of course, the, the sacrifices of dogs and the cults that involved dogs as well. You know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned the sacrifices of dogs and mm -hmm. everything else. But what, what's 
fascinating to me is there's animals that were sort of friendly with humans and there's mm -hmm. animals that were not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we, we see Genesis chapter 9 where God gives the fear of man to animal and animal to man and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. But I think that uh, when we see this, uh, it becomes interesting because today we have dogs uh, as pets. Yeah, we don't we don't normally see the the wild side. At, at least here in North America, yeah. Yeah. we don't see the wild, dangerous side. We only see the domesticated, uh, man friendly kind of dogs that we've cutified. <laughs> cutified. <laughs> we I have love that word. Well, you know, I mean, it's but it's important to remember that that they participated in the work of man, like you have shepherd dogs and they had they took care of sheep and so on and so forth. Yep. That's important to remember. And uh, so thank you, Corey. Excellent piece. No problem. Ryan. All right, well, today we finish up the incredible book of Job and I just love these closing chapters. Chapter 40 is so fascinating. It describes the massive beast called Behemoth. And then chapter 41 is just as exciting to me because it refers to another mammoth monster known as Leviathan. Well, on yesterday's program, we attempted to identify Behemoth, and today in continuation, we're going to do the same with Leviathan. So, let's go. While the book of Job is categorized as a book of poetry, Job chapter 41 vividly describes in scary detail a monumental monster of the sea known as Leviathan. If this Leviathan is indeed a real creature, as the text seems to indicate, and as I firmly believe, then it's worth exploring the fossil record for some possibilities. Based upon such a description, some believe that some of the now-extinct marine reptiles, such as Chronosaurus, Mosasaurus, Shaunosaurus, or Styxosaurus, would make good candidates. The sizes of their body and their bite certainly make them worthy possibilities. Indeed, these mammoth sea monsters ranged in size from 30 to 50 feet in length, weighed up to 10 tons, and all sported massive jaws and teeth. There is, however, one detail regarding Leviathan, which doesn't seem to fit the behavior of such sea dwellers. Job 41.30 tells us that this animal often left a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It's hard to imagine a sea-dwelling creature spending time in the mud, and this may be one of the reasons why many commentators identify Leviathan with the common crocodile. Not only do these semi-aquatic reptiles like to spend time in the mud, but the scales on their backs could rightly be described as rows of shields. However, while they do make for difficult hunting, they are nevertheless successfully caught on a daily basis. But God makes it absolutely clear that Leviathan was uncatchable. But all may not be lost. Discovered in 1964 in the Sahara Desert was a fossil of a colossal crocodile which they dubbed Sarcosuchus, meaning flesh-eating crocodile. This supercroc was as long as a school bus and when alive would have weighed up to 8 tons. This is twice as large as the largest crocs living today, which certainly puts it in a vastly different league. As with Leviathan, its 6 foot long mouth was also ringed about with fearsome teeth, more than 100 in fact, which one researcher described as railroad spikes. And the scoots, or scales of this killer croc, were each about a foot long, closely overlapping one another, just like Leviathan's rows of shields tightly sealed together. Another fascinating feature is a round bony protrusion in the tip of its snout, which housed a large bowl-shaped cavity called a bulla. Scientists aren't sure what function it served, but could it have had something to do with the production of smoke and fire? Is the description of Leviathan as a fire breather merely poetic? 
One thing we do know from the bombardier beetle, which can ignite a lethal chemical spray up to 100 degrees Celsius, is that such a feature is biologically possible. So is Sarcosuchus the dreaded leviathan? God only knows. So this gigantic fossil crocodile was found in the Sahara Desert of all places. Of course, it's been known for quite some time that the deserts of the world were once well watered and full of life. Even satellite imaging has confirmed that water once flowed through these very dry and arid places. Now, of course, the world is a very different place today than it was in Job's day. And actually, as I mentioned on the program a few days ago, some scientists and scholars believe that Job lived during the Ice Age, which is thought to have been triggered by the flood, since the conditions right after the deluge would have been ideal. Now, some of the world would have been very icy, while other parts of the world where Job lived, for example, uh, would be quite warm. I don't have time to go into detail about that here, but if you are interested in the subject, then check out the writings and research of scientist Michael Ord. He's an expert on weather and the Ice Age, and I actually interviewed him as well as five other scientists and researchers on the DVD set called A World by Design, the Muskoka Conference. So if you don't have it, then I would really recommend that you get that resource. You can also find today's segment and yesterday's segment on our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV.com is the website where our Bible guide is well. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of offerings. One of the things we do is your husband, Matlock, writes answers to questions. People have Bible questions. And uh, he writes a lot on the website. And he makes sure that our website is designed so that people have questions or whatever, they can go there and look at it. Also, we air the program on BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And we have a live 24-7 stream as well. And so we want to encourage you to do that as well. Janice? What a mighty God we serve is what I titled this because, uh, as Ryan said earlier, Job is such an amazing uh, book. And the last few chapters really give us a look at uh, the character and nature of God. And, and as we hear God take Job through these massive series of questions, we can feel... Uh, a little bit of perhaps what Job was feeling in those moments. Um, but something strikes me. In, in uh, the 42nd chapter, we see in verse 5 and 6 that Job repents. Uh, we have heard him earlier on say, oh, if I could just, if I could just have my time with God, if, if he could just hear, uh, you know, my thoughts, then, you know, and, and, and now he's been confronted with it. And he says to God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then the very next verse um, God is coming against Job's three friends. He doesn't include Elihu in this, but he's talking about his, his three friends. And he says, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And so I thought, let's go back and trace some of the key things very early on in the chapter before everybody else starts expanding on what they think and what they feel. And if you go back to the very first chapter of the book of Job, after the loss of Job's property and after the death of his children, he makes this amazing statement in Job chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, or the, the first part is his statement and then what God says about him. 
Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job says, After the loss of his property and the death of his children, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And right immediately after that, in verse 22, it says, In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Isn't that interesting? And then later on in the second chapter, when Satan attacks Job's health, so now he's getting these terrible boils. He's being terribly affected. In Job 2, uh, verse 9, at the end part, he's, he's replying to something that his wife has said to him. And Job answers her, Shall we indeed accept good from God, and not shall we, and shall we not accept adversity? The very next verse says, In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Made me stop to think that we think that we know everything, don't we? And as we sit and we listen to the pontification of each of them, there are things that we have thought, that we have said, that we think that we know. But everything that we think and we know cannot be compared to the mighty God that we serve. And that's what we have to remember. His wisdom and his knowledge is so far above ours. He truly is the almighty and everlasting God. And I think that we need to remember that in our lives, that oftentimes when we come together with our friends and we pontificate over what we think is this and what we think is that, the thing that we need to remember is that we need to comfort one another and bring our friends before the throne of grace, before the throne of God, because he is all wisdom. He is all knowledge. And you know what? He longs for that relationship from you and me. He longs for us to follow him with our lives and have a relationship with him. Um, that is one of the takes, Rod, that I've had this year out of the book of Job, is just to remember the mighty awesomeness of God. And in that mighty and awesomeness, he makes time for you and me. I want to invite you to come to us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30. We have a prayer meeting for you. And uh, if you come to Facebook or YouTube, search for BibleDiscoveryTV.com. It's excellent. But you know, today we need to pray. And as we do, let's, let's pray this way. Lord, I come to you in praise for loving me enough to give your own son to save my life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do in Jesus' name.